Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome back to Mile Heart Podcast, episode 229. Today, we are going to be taking a look at some strange medical mysteries, strange conditions, interesting medical phenomena. This stuff is very fascinating to us, and we were just kind of laughing that this is a follow-up to an episode that we did three years ago. Yeah, I like yeah. always plan on starting all these series and then we're like oh yeah we'll do a yeah. part two to this and it's like three years later before we, <laughs> Dude, we do it again the but time just flies i know i can't believe it, it was episode 78 was That's unexplained nuts. medical mysteries now here we are in 229 yeah. august with part this. two august 14th 2019 was on that episode wow that was insane. insane before we even were in our last studio yeah. we were in your basement yeah this we were was in the our basement yeah for that? i yep. was watching it to try and figure out what we had already talked about and Holy it was in the basement shit. So i looked like basement days yeah, I look like 10 years younger in it, too. <laughs> oh, no. God. Having a child has aged us already. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. It's true. It's true. But anyway, this is going to be a really interesting episode. Um, some of these incidents are still kind of, I guess you could say, unsolved to this day or undetermined what exactly happened. And yeah, they're they're pretty fascinating. It's crazy to think that in the 21st century, we're in 2022 now, that we still... There's still a lot we don't know about oh, the yeah. human body. There's so many conditions that have been undiagnosed still. Yeah, so much. And there's just so much still for us to learn. And it was interesting because I, I read an article about, and this, this, this relates to health because it's going to help, especially with cancer research, but the Human Genome Project. So mm. scientists for a long time have been trying to map the entire human genome and the Human Genome Project, they got 92% of it mapped by 2003 i believe and just in 2022 so this year they completed the other eight percent so they oh, that wow. other eight percent so the the human genome genome is a hundred percent map now oh i didn't know that yes that it sounds like a huge accomplishment it is it's a major accomplishment but of course got barely any news coverage right because politics is way more interesting right yeah people care about yeah it's, it's everything <laughs> But the most important thing. Right, apparently. right. I mean, it's huge. It it's a lot. I mean, just that eight percent was a was a ton of work to to try to figure out. But it's going to allow us to get provide individual care on a on a whole different level yeah. because we're going to be able to look at things from um the genet on a genetic level that we weren't able to before, especially when it comes to cancers, what you're predisposed to, things like that. You know, with uh, genetic tests like what we took twenty three and Me. Oh, you know God, how yeah. they have the health indicators, things like that. So they're right. using, you know, those indicators to look for potential conditions that you might be predisposed to based on your genetics. And so now that we have 100% of the human genome mapped, we're going to be able to look at people's individual genetic makeups much better than we used to be able to and hopefully be able to discover the cures for cancers and things like that yeah. through this additional information that we've acquired. Yeah. That's it's very complex news. stuff. I mean, I'm, I know this on a very, very basic level. So I'm sure there's somebody out there who actually understands genetics really well that probably could elaborate on this. But it, I just wanted to share that because it's a huge accomplishment that happened this yeah. year. Wow. And it could really help help us figure out, you know, those genetic variations that could potentially lead to somebody getting cancer. So it could potentially get to a point where we would be able to predict an individual could end up get, having this type of cancer long before it ever 
sort of is detected or or, or sets in, I guess. So mm-hmm. it's it's pretty cool stuff. Well, that kind of exists already, right? For certain types of cancer. Because right. I definitely well, know people yeah, who you know get tested for the BRCA gene, for example. Right, or, right, exactly. Hmm. But if we're able to do this like early on in a person's life and we're able to actually, you know, hmm. if this, it's very expensive to do this kind of work, but eventually over time, the hope is that we'd be able to like potentially look at your genetic makeup when you're a child and see what you'd be predisposed to throughout your life based on your, because there's so many mm-hmm. variations in the genes that we're finding have direct correlations with different diseases and mm-hmm. cancers and things like that. So it's just giving us, it's giving us a lot more insight into the individual's genetic makeup and, and their body to try and figure out, is there a way to address this thing. early on mm-hmm. so that the cancer doesn't actually occur or you know i don't know what the right word is for it but it could per it's going to be huge for preventative um health going forward so that's pretty really interesting. interesting could help with also figuring out some of these undiagnosed yeah diseases i was and, gonna say and disorders and things like that so well, this first one is really really wild um yeah let's jump right into it first we want to thank our sponsors for today june's journey and zip recruiter. Thank you. Thank you. And let's get into it. So our first story is about a woman named Gloria Ramirez who is living in Riverside, California. Gloria was a 31-year-old who had two children and she was a housewife. She enjoyed volunteering at the local elementary school and she was a very nice person. But sadly, at some point, Gloria had been diagnosed with cervical cancer. And on February 19th, 1994, Gloria was feeling really sick. She was experiencing symptoms of nausea, difficulty breathing, and an increased heart rate. It has been reported that she ended up fainting and then was taken to the Riverside General Hospital emergency room via ambulance. And after doing some tests, they figured out that Gloria's heart was beating way too fast for her body. So doctors immediately tried to use a defibrillator in order to send an electric pulse to her heart and restore her normal heart rate. However, While nurses are doing this, they discover that Gloria's body was covered in a, quote, oily sheen. And they also claimed that her breath was letting off a very interesting smell. They said it was fruity and garlicky. So I'm trying to picture what that would be like. Not entirely sure on that, though. Sounds gross. And then this nurse named Susan Kane tried to draw blood from Gloria. But when she started doing this, she noticed that her blood had a really strange smell. It smelled like ammonia. And then doctors noticed that there were these strange beige pinkish colored particles floating in her blood. And then nurse Kane started reporting that her own face was burning really bad. And not long after she ended up fainting and had to be rushed away. But nurse Kane wasn't the only one who experienced weird symptoms. Several other staff members started experiencing fainting, shaking, and irregular breathing. In particular, Julie Gorchinsky, who was a resident at the hospital, and Maureen Welch, a respiratory therapist, both fainted. And Maureen actually said that she remembered hearing someone scream and then woke up. And she said, I couldn't control movement of my limbs. Other staff members at the hospital claimed that they randomly started feeling sick too. And the hospital decided to declare an emergency. And all the patients in the hospital had to be evacuated and taken out to the parking lot. Meanwhile, Gloria is still not doing well, and nurses and doctors continue to try and treat her. However, they didn't have success, and unfortunately, Gloria did pass away 
at 8.50 p.m. And after this, two staff members took Gloria's body and moved it to isolation. Resident Julie Gorchinsky ended up being in the ICU for multiple days. She experienced something known as avascular necrosis, which is actually where bone tissue doesn't receive enough blood and therefore starts to die. So here's an interview of Julie. I interviewed the only victim who remains hospitalized, Dr. Julie Gorchinsky, who was working in the emergency room that night. When I asked the nurse to start an IV, that about coincidentally at the same time I smelled, you know, ammonia. To me it was ammonia. And I kind of made a comment that, you know, that's really strong ammonia. And I kind of felt, you know, like I was going to pass out then. So I moved around to the other side of the bed to get away from the fumes. She then told me what she believes made her sick. And in retrospect, which I shouldn't have done, I smelt the blood. And a few seconds later, I wasn't feeling good myself. And just remember waking up, being helped to be breathed with a mask. Julie was often hooked up to a breathing machine because she would suddenly stop breathing. This week, she has been feeling much better. It's great to go to sleep and be reassured that you're going to wake up without having anybody breathing for you. However, Julie knows she's a long way from her days as a professionally ranked surfer. Just laying in bed here, I kind of feel like a 90-year-old lady. My lungs still aren't up to par. You know, I just brush my hair and I'm very exhausted. As an emergency room physician, you've obviously hooked up people to all kinds of tubes, breathing tubes, IVs, etc. Now you've been on the other end of it. How did that feel? This experience has completely changed my thinking process. Um, you know, when you do things emergently, sometimes, you know, uh, it's difficult to make the patient comfortable. But uh, I think if I'm in that position, I'll go the two extra seconds or a minute to comfort the patient and, and make, if it is their last few moments, comfortable because I had a lot of procedures here and uh, it was it was scary. It's pretty interesting to hear what it would be like you know, on the other side, I'm sure it's until you actually experience it being close to death like that in a hospital setting. It's got to be so intense. So I'm wondering if the doctors were in PPE or not, because I'm just thinking if they had their noses covered, she said she smelled the blood mm. that it's interesting that if I'm assuming she probably was, I mean, yeah, but again, maybe. this was back, this was back in the nineties. So I don't know, maybe they weren't, but I'm just curious if, they were not because yeah, that not might have felt the need that to. an N95 mask or not because but, that filters. I mean, imagine like being in the hospital after treating a patient. Yeah, I mean, it's it's clearly something they didn't expect to happen. Mm-mm. So something, something about the blood. Yeah, clearly was toxic. So once she was released from the hospital, she had lost so much bone density that she actually had used crutches for six months in order to get around. And then one of the nurses who moved Gloria's body, Sally Balderas, experienced irregular breathing, similar to how Julie Gorchinsky did. She also felt the same burning sensation that Nurse Kane did, and she started throwing up. And she ended up having to be hospitalized for 10 days. And Sally and Julie were not the only ones who had to be hospitalized. There were a total of five hospital staff that had to be hospitalized overnight And when all was said and done, Gloria's body ended up affecting 23 staff members from the hospital. Isn't that insane? So going back to that night, around 11 p.m., a hazardous materials team went to the hospital in full hazmat suits in order to try to figure out what was going on here. They searched the hospital for toxic chemicals that could be causing people to get sick, but they weren't able to find anything. 
So the coroner's office did an autopsy on Gloria six days later, and they ended up building a specially sealed room, and the staff had to be in hazard suits in order to keep everyone safe. If Gloria's body really did have toxins in it, they wanted to make sure that these toxins didn't leak. They even took air samples from her body bag to try to figure out what happened and why so many people who came in contact with her got so sick. After the autopsy, people were hosed down with decontaminants. And in the end, they determined that her official cause of death was cardiac dysrhythmia, an abnormal heartbeat caused by kidney failure from her cervical cancer. However, they never got any answers as to what was causing all of the strange smells, her oily skin, the kind of garlic breath that she was experiencing, strange particles in her blood, and of course, why multiple people who came in contact with her got sick. It was reported that there were no poisons, toxins, nothing in Gloria's system that would point to any answers about what actually happened that day. Gloria's body was buried in Riverside, California on April 20th, 1994, and people were absolutely baffled by this event. Medical detectives from 10 different federal and state forensic departments decided to take a look at the case, but no one could ever come up with an answer as to what caused all of Gloria's weird symptoms to occur and why so many people who got in contact with her ended up sick. So what really happened to her? I don't know. Well, there's a few theories to look at here. There are. So the first theory is potentially she was accidentally poisoned. And this theory comes from the Livermore Laboratory. When they actually looked at Gloria's autopsy samples, they discovered abnormally high levels of a compound called dimethyl sulfone. Dimethyl sulfone has been used to aid in inflammation, pain, hay fever, and more. They believe that Gloria was using something called DMSO gel. DMSO gel has a few different uses. It's actually a heavy-duty degreaser sold in hardware stores. But at one point, it was used as a product that is anti-inflammatory and used to help aches and pains. In the 1970s, it was actually banned for that use due to the discovery that it could cause eye damage. Now, what's interesting about DMSO is it's only one oxygen atom away from dimethyl sulfone. And I guess this gel actually smells like garlic. So they obviously claimed that that is what made her breath smell like garlic and why her skin was so oily. Could make sense. The Livermore Laboratory ended up doing an experiment where they combined DMSO gel and a bunch of oxygen. And they did this because Gloria had an oxygen mask on in the hospital. And the results were that the DMSO gel basically turned into dimethyl sulfone once it was exposed to high concentrations of oxygen. So if you're hooked up to an oxygen mask, I could explain that. In addition, little white crystals formed when exposed to high levels of oxygen. And they claim that this would be why medical staff saw little beige particles floating around in her blood. However, even if all this matches up, dimethyl sulfone is not toxic and is completely harmless. So why were people getting so sick around her? Livermore Labs said that when they were using the defibrillator on Gloria, the electric shocks broke down the dimethyl sulfone and turned it into dimethyl sulfate inside of Gloria, which is toxic to humans. However, a lot of scientists have come out and said that this is pretty much impossible. Also, even though this is the theory that Livermore Lab came up with, they never actually ran any tests to prove this theory. Even the head of the lab himself said that this is purely a theory and that he isn't even confident that this is what happened. So another theory that's out there has to do with poor hospital conditions, which this theory comes from Gloria Ramirez's family. First off, Gloria's family claims that Gloria never used DMSO. 
and there's no way that played a role in her death. They even requested an independent autopsy, but by the time they did this, her body was very decomposed and several organs were missing, including her heart. It had also been reported that her body was contaminated with fecal matter. Due to all of this, Gloria's family believes that the cause of Gloria's death, as well as the medical staff getting sick, was due to the poor conditions of the hospital. Back in 1991, three years before this event, two hospital employees were exposed to poisonous gas leaked from a sterilizer and had to receive medical treatment. And this isn't all. In 1993, one year before this event, sewer gas was discovered in a hospital room after an inspection. Gloria's sister Maggie stated that she believes that Gloria may have survived if she hadn't gone to the emergency room that night. Now, Gloria's family actually has reason to believe that this could have happened. After the first autopsy was done, coroner Dan Cupido of Riverside County initially stated that Gloria actually didn't die from natural causes. However, once the county had reviewed Dan's findings, he changed the statement and said that Gloria did in fact die of natural causes. In addition to this, a woman named Stephanie Albright, who was the initial investigator, took her own life one month into the investigation, and she was considered to be one of the top investigators. Dan the coroner actually made a statement saying that Stephanie quote-unquote may have been under pressure. Not only this, but the syringe that was used to draw Glory's blood was thrown out by accident. However, the Riverside County spokesperson, a man named Tom DeSantis, claimed that the vents in the ER were checked by independent inspectors after Gloria's death, and nothing out of the ordinary was discovered. But still, the Ramirez family maintains that something is being covered up, and they ended up filing a wrongful death lawsuit against Riverside County. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Which, I mean, obviously people file lawsuits without evidence sometimes, but I feel like in this case, they probably had a decent amount of evidence in order to go through the process and spend the money to file this type of lawsuit against the county. And when you look this up online, there is a lot of talk on the internet about this hospital and these Mm -hmm. gas leaks and things like that. Some people said that perhaps there was, you know, this hospital was doing some nefarious things with drugs and things like that, at Mm -hmm. least from what I read Mm -hmm. online with some of the IV bags and potentially they're cooking up some drugs or something. And that this is like a giant cover-up. Speaking of which, in 1997, the New Times LA published a theory stating that Gloria's death and the illness of staff members was caused by methylamine. Methylamine is a drug used in the production of methamphetamines. According to the theory, it was believed that the hospital is using IV bags to smuggle methylamine and that an infected bag was accidentally given to Gloria, which resulted in her death and also in the intoxication of the staff. That just seems so hard to believe. Yeah, I mean, it sounds far-fetched, but crazier things have happened <laughs> yeah, in hospitals. True. So it's true. It is possible. This theory claims that in Livermore Labs' report, they had found an abnormal amount of niacinamide in Gloria's system. Niacinamide is a type of vitamin B3, which is commonly mixed with illegal drugs for an added sense of euphoria. Plus, it is cheap and potent. It should also be noted that Riverside County is America's largest drug trafficking distribution center. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you can actually confirm this, but when I Googled that, like all these things were coming up that it's true that, yeah, Riverside County is, I guess, known to be a huge drug trafficking center. I don't think it'd be completely out of the realm of possibility to be trafficking drugs through a hospital per se. Makes sense. And the last theory that has been offered up is that this was a case of mass hysteria. So the California Department of Health and Human Services ended up interviewing 34 hospital staff who were working the night of this event. And after speaking with the staff, they concluded that this was just an event 
of mass hysteria. Now, we've talked about mass hysteria events on the show before. It's basically described as an illness that has no identifiable cause, even though a group of people seem to experience the same symptoms. They said that the strange odor was the trigger that caused all of these people to experience the symptoms. And obviously, the medical staff was pretty pissed off that this was all they could come up with as far as reasoning to why this happened to them. The respiratory therapist, Maureen Welch, was adamant that mass hysteria was not what she experienced. Resident Julie Gurchinsky, the one that we just watched on video, was not pleased with this explanation either. In fact, she ended up filing a lawsuit against the coroner's office for $6 million. How offensive. After all that time that you spent in a fucking hospital bed, after treating a patient right. at your job, and they're telling you this is mass this hysteria. Right. Sounds like that's something that you use as a excuse to cover something up, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. Sounds like it. They're like, hmm, you're all just crazy. I know. I don't know. I kind of tend to think that this was some type of of accidental poisoning, honestly. Maybe, but with what? I mean, wouldn't it have come up on tests and everything? Well, I mean, do we trust the corner, though? I mean, maybe the corner is covering up some. If there's actual, you know, drug trafficking happening. So you believe in the drug trafficking? Yeah, exactly. That this was a drug trafficking hospital and somebody got a hold of the wrong bag and gave her something that ultimately killed her that night. Well, I think it's weird that, yeah, the coroner's like, oh, no, we didn't find anything strange. But then Livermore Labs looks into it and says that there was niacinamide in her system. And like we talked about, yeah, that can be added off to, to be mixed with drugs. So who would have known niacinamide? I use that on my face every night. I know it's weird. But yeah, it definitely seems like something was going on because there's different reports being done or finding different you know, things in her system and stuff. So God, that is just so weird. It would be so hard as a family to just accept that you have no answers and just be wondering mm -hmm. about this mystery for years on end. I just can't even imagine. So this is interesting. There's been a bunch of funny business with this. So I was just looking at an article from the LA Times talking about, because we're talking about like the toxicology report that would reveal if there's something in her. Well, they originally said they released the full toxicology report, but now they're saying, no, we never released the full report. Oh, convenient. So there's a there's more I think there's more there than what's being being said or being released. And that that's definitely sketchy. I'm also very curious about the DMSO gel. Um I know her family said that she didn't use it, but mm -hmm. I wonder why they believed that she did anyway. Cause that kind of makes sense. I mean, one thing that the drugs doesn't really explain either is the greasy, oily skin. Mm-hmm. And the particles in her blood, is that a normal side effect of drugs? Uh, that's still baffling, too, because not only did Gloria have that in her blood, but Julie did, too. Yeah. That's really weird. Yeah, it's Julie believes she was something poisoned her that night. Mm -hmm. There was something. I don't know. That's that's so weird. She, she actually wonders if the culprit might have been ethylene oxide, which is a toxic gas that is used to sterilize medical equipment. Mm. and causes symptoms identical to hers when a person is exposed to it. So the Riverside General Hospital had previously been cited by Cal OSHA for improper handling of ethylene oxide. Julie seems to think that this is the fault of the that something at the hospital yeah. went wrong. Seems like or somebody her, did something. I mean, that's what her family believes as well. So it kind of seems like that's the best theory. It just 
I don't know, her symptoms were so strange that they don't really line up with a normal you know, drug overdose. Well, it also goes with the whole thing about three years prior, like we talked about, two hospital employees were exposed to poisonous gas. Mm-hmm. So is that just another, is this a, another occurrence of it? Yeah, that's what I kind of think. I think there's something sketch at this hospital that that either somebody did on purpose and they just never have been able to figure that out or or nail down who did it. Or this mm-hmm. is just a poorly run hospital. The equipment's malfunctioning and toxic gas is getting released or leaking in some way. I mean, they had previous violations for that. So I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility that that's what was happening here. I don't know. So are we all in agreement here that this was most likely the fault of the hospital? I think there is definitely something weird going on. I don't really believe the DMSO one. Really? No, not really. Because it, after all is said and done, they were like, okay, well, even if they produce that gas or whatever, it's still not toxic. And then mm-hmm. it just, it's it kind of seems far-fetched that that would also then transfer to like 23 people and yeah. all yeah. this has happened. Everyone's getting sick now. That's a good point. That I don't would be see quite how, extreme. Yeah, I don't see how there would have been enough of this chemical concoction created to make that many people sick to that degree yeah this seems like a full-on i mean the injuries that gloria sustained but also julie sustained are very very serious and i feel like this was some major poisoning that happened and she's a doctor an er doctor and she Mm -hmm. herself is saying i was poisoned so i'm going with julie on this one i think there i think either somebody set off some gas somehow Mm -hmm. on purpose or this was another incident of an accidental leak of some sort with some faulty equipment or something. Which again, this hospital, people have said who've reported on this story that the hospital is old, it's eight, not aging well, that they have had these previous violations. So I think it's the most plausible theory that this was faulty equipment or something that leaked poisonous gas in the hospital. Yeah, very well could be. I think that's where I'm leaning to. Although it's possible that it's some undiagnosed, unknown medical condition. Yeah, that's. I guess that's true as well. Maybe we just we'll never know. Maybe the truth about this one. But yeah, let us know your thoughts on that one, guys. But this next medical mystery is pretty, pretty interesting. It is. This one took place back in 2008 in Melbourne, Australia, to a woman named Natalie Adler. Natalie says that when she was 17 years old, she had a staph and sinus infection, and one night before a school exam, Natalie's eyes completely shut. And she wasn't able to open them back up for three days, which sounds like yeah, absolute that, that hell. that would me so much. Since then, this has become a reoccurring event for her. Her eyes will shut for three days and then open for three days. And this has now been happening for 15 years, people. Can you imagine? She says she basically can't see anything except for having a little bit of sight out of the slit of her left eye. Natalie has said, quote, the night before it sets in, my eyes get quite heavy, and that's how I know it's coming on. And when my eyes are shut, I have a pain on either side of my temples. I feel nausea. My body aches all over. I have neck pain from leaning back, trying to see out of the bottom of my left eye. And it just looks, if you're listening, it looks so painful, so brutal. I really can't imagine ugh, dealing with with this for that's 15 like, years. That's like one of my biggest fears out of all things on my body is like really? something happening to my eyes. Yeah. Or yeah. or like having eye pain or some yeah. eye problem or we you were talking I forget who we were talking about LASIK 
with, but LASIK just oh, yeah. sounds horrible too. <laughs> yes. Austin actually yeah. from oh, Lights yeah. Out. Oh yeah. New producer on Lights Out if you haven't seen. Yeah. He got LASIK. Yeah, it sounds me. horrible. I just can't my eyes I can't even like get my eyes dilated. I start tripping out. Really? Can you I, touch your eyes? No. Really? Never Dude, have, never will. He's such a baby about pretty much everything. Though. You can't even put <laughs> eyeliner on me. Forget about it. If I was a girl, I'd be all natural. That's right. No makeup. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, doctors have never been able to figure out what the cause of this is. And it's so rare that it doesn't even have a name. Natalie has gone through many procedures and treatments and has reportedly had 99% of her muscles taken out of her eyelids. And she still gets Botox in her eyes regularly to try to keep her eyes partly open, but she still experiences complete blindness at least once a month. Here's a video of her explaining her condition. Developed into this random cycle um, where they would close for three, spasm shut for three days and then open for three days. I've had 99% of my muscles removed from my eyelids. It's just brought me back from the brink. It didn't bother me at all. The illness doesn't define her. I never lose hope because I just can't. And that's not the person I am. That's so brutal. I just can't even imagine what that would be like. I wonder what, what the root cause is. I wonder yeah. if it's like something neurological that's causing her eyes to shut. It's interesting that even after taking out all the muscles from the eyelids, it's still she's still not able to keep them, them yeah. open. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's not even really any solid theories for this one. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't really know even if I have any guesses. Uh, I sure don't because if experts can't figure it out, then yeah. I'm not going to sit here and try and be like, <laughs> yeah. well, I think it's this. Well, That's according right. to what I know, I think yeah. it's, no, I don't, I don't know. This, this is strange. It's just terrible. Horrible though. Yeah. I mean, horrible. Let's talk about a guy named Brad Williams. This guy apparently never forgets anything. So Brad is from La Crosse, Wisconsin. And while we aren't sure if Brad still works here, he at one point worked at six radio station where he reported and anchored the morning news. Brad has an insanely good memory and was diagnosed with something called hyperthymesia. Hyperthymesia is defined as, quote, the uncommon ability that allows a person to spontaneously recall with great accuracy and detail a vast number of personal events or experiences and their associated dates. Highly superior autobiographical memory. That's wild. I wish I had this. <laughs> Brad no. claims that as long as he can remember, he's had this ability. You would want this? To I guess, yeah. Brad does describe be, it as an ability. That would be quite useful, don't you think? Maybe, but aren't there things that you want to forget? That just seems like a lot of storage space in your brain. Well, maybe he's got extended storage that we don't have. I was actually thinking about this the other night. I was just rocking our baby and thinking like, I really want to remember this moment and realizing that I probably won't. The majority of the moments throughout our days, majority of our days, we don't have any memory of as the years go by. It's kind of crazy to think about how little you actually do remember of your life. Especially it's, small details. Like, yeah. what did you eat last week on Tuesday for lunch? I don't know. I don't even remember what I ate like two days ago for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. What are the moments that matter? What is it about them? Like, what is the, the recipe for a, a memory that you always remember? Why, well, why are they memories and why aren't 
I think not all of these things memory. What stands out to you the most is events out of the normal. Like I always remember holidays and vacations and things from my childhood or like bad things that happened in my childhood, things that were abnormal to the everyday. Yeah, it's things the mundane are, stuff you forget. Yeah, things that are somehow impactful to your life, even if you in the moment you don't think it's a big deal. Because there's things that I remember that I'm like, why do I remember this? Yes. That obviously had some sort of you know impact on me, whether I really yeah. acknowledge it or not. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget it. But in that moment when I was experiencing it, it wasn't like I was sitting there like, whoa, this is such a profound experience yeah. or whatever. You yeah. know what I mean? It's true. There are tons of memories from my childhood that really don't have any reason to be remembered. But but do you think I can maybe, recall them so clearly? Maybe there's a, a thing to do with short-term versus long-term memory. Because if you think about it, I know for me personally, I have plenty of mundane memories from my long-term memory versus like what you were just saying. I don't remember what I ate two days <laughs> ago. That's in your short-term memory. So when things get stored into long-term, I can at least remember like, because like I can remember meals that I had as a kid. Nothing was prolific about those meals, but I have mm-hmm. a very vivid memory of going to the grocery store and getting a rotisserie chicken and taking it home and eating it. And I can I can tell <laughs> okay. you the exact flavor that I got. I can tell you the donut shop I used to walk down to when I was like six years old. But so, that must have had some... But why would that be a profound moment that I would at the time know that I'm a store because and then recall later? Because you were lit about the donuts and the chicken. No, absolutely <laughs> yeah. not. I was Your sick brain... of the chicken. Well, I maybe said that's no more chicken. Then. I had it five nights a week. That's maybe pretty that's mundane. that's why you remember it because A, it was repetitive and B, yeah. because you associate it with... Uh, memory you're not fond of but do you think that maybe in a few years from now that two days ago lunch is going to be a memory that you're able to retrieve no no because who gives a fuck it was two days ago lunch (laughs) that's right but guess what that was that was taco bell so for you that's a that's a core memory for you (laughs) you're right it's a core memory for you the intrito's back you're right (laughs) so yes that was not a mundane memory. I proved my point. This mm. is a long-term thing that you'll always remember the day they brought the Enchirito back. And it was at the office and y'all were eating in your freaking Enchiritos. Yeah. Make it smell like a trash a can core in mem. there. Yeah. I have a core memory of going to Taco Bell when they took the Enchiritos off the menu the first time. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The core memory. And I remember mm. like... Because you were scarred. I have this visual of it's me... trauma. In my car, I rem- like... I know exactly what the stupid ordering, you know, little like menu looked like and everything. And they, said, and they Sorry. were like, nothing. Not doing that anymore. Sorry, ma'am. These are gone. The important memories that Janelle's going to remember on her deathbed. <laughs> the Entrito. The day I got the Entrito again. Oh, my God. Well, I can't imagine being able to remember everything. But I mean, this dates, guy remembers everything. You. And yeah, he sees it as an ability. So I think he likes it. Yeah, let's watch this video of him. I am Brad Williams. Hell yeah, look at that computer. Six radio stations in the lacrosse area. I like the music. And my job is anchoring the morning news and also reporting news. That's what most people in the lacrosse area know Brad Williams for. I'm Brad Williams for WKTY News. This is what you might not. What day did Star Trek, the TV show, debut? September 8th, 1966. Thursday night. What day did Diana and Charles get married? July 29th, 1981. August 8th, 1975. August 8th, 1975 was Friday. October 30th, 1997. 
1997 uh, Thursday. We could call it a condition, Mr. Google. We could call it a syndrome. Mr. Amazing, Google. really. Call it what you want, but we'll just call him the Amazing Memory Man. Oh, we like that for him. <laughs> Mash September 17th of 1972, wow. Sunday night. Mount St. Helens erupted. Mount St. Helens, May 18th, 1980. Woodstock begins. Woodstock begins, I would say, August 15th, 1969. In 1976, what movie won Best Picture? For the year 76 or? Yes. Okay. For the year 76, it would be Rocky. Even the most insignificant of details. Just, just remember having the Fruit Loop Sunday. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. Fruit Loop Sunday? Brad can remember what he had for There's lunch Janelle. 12 years ago. He is like a walking encyclopedia. And what's even more amazing, he's had this ability for, well, as long as he can remember. If we can't remember something, and the common response in this building is, well, go ask Brad. Because Oh, inevitably, Brad knows, Brad the knows fucking Top everything. Grossing movie of 75. It was Jaws. Dude, that's fucking awesome. Honestly, he's just like a fact storage. Mm-hmm. He's like a. Oh, they could never have him on like Trivia Pursuit oh, uh, or uh, what's it called? The Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. He would dominate. There was this other clip that I was watching of him, and they did this little like experiment where some guy would be asked a series of questions, and he had to go on Google to find them, and they like timed him how long it would take for him to Google these answers, and then they brought um, what the fuck is this guy's name? Brad. Brad. <laughs> Jesus. They brought Brad in after, and he was just spitting off the answers like no problem. He's faster than Google. That's amazing. <laughs> go Brad. We love that for him. So he just did they ever. Did he ever get like a brain scan or anything to see mm. see if he's got like an enlarged cerebellum or something? Not that I read. Because where it memory, could be possible. Memory there is an, a documentary the on this, Unforgettable. Oh, yeah, released in 2010. The hippocampus. His brother made a uh, a, doc. yeah, a documentary back in 2010. Yeah, we didn't have time to check that out, but yeah, yeah. pretty interesting. I know. Yeah, the hippocampus is the main region of the brain involved in memory processes. Yes. If you could have this ability, would you want it? Sure. Yeah, why not? Although I think I'd rather have a photographic memory Mm. as opposed to like being able to remember like specific details and dates. Yeah. I think being able to like see images, pull it up. Yeah. Like Google images and just be able to like, okay, I'm going to recall that, that event and the image of that in my head. Especially when in school, that would have been nice to be able to pull up my note card in my head. Oh, yeah. You that know, would be I really was, nice. You know, jealous kids who had the photographic memory, like, oh, yeah, I just take screenshots of my textbook and then pull them up in my head during the test and I'm good to go. Dude, this one kid in our library would always sit there and literally like blink at all the pages and just memorize it all. I remember sitting there like, how the fuck are you? That's so unfair. Literally. And then I had a teacher that tried to tell me that anyone can have a photographic memory and there's a way to train your brain. Yeah, that's what my grandpa how, my but... grandpa always told me too. He'd be like, Really? Yeah. yeah Interesting. Like, he claims that he can speed read. Damn. And he could read a whole book in like an hour. Well, if you ever Carl watch him, he has he'd a be lot like, of claims of things he can do. <laughs> do you think like, he's actually like he, absorbing he says any he of is. that? He says he is. Okay. Mm. But. I don't know. Shout out to Carl. (laughs) Anyway, this last one we wanted to talk about today is called human werewolf syndrome. And this is pretty wild. 
So hypertrichosis, also known as werewolf syndrome, is a condition characterized by excessive hair growth anywhere on a person's body. It can occur at birth or later in life, and the excess hair can grow anywhere on the body, sometimes even just in patches. And there's technically five types of hypertrichosis. One type is congenital hypertrichosis lanyaginosa. It first appears as normal fine hair found on a baby at birth, but instead of disappearing during the following weeks, the hair continues to grow in various places on the baby's body. Then another type is called congenital hypertrichosis terminalis. Abnormal hair growth begins at birth and continues throughout a person's life. The hair is usually long and thick and covers a person's face and body. And then there's nevoid hypertrichosis, which is just excessive hair growth of any kind that appears in a defined area. And then there's hirsutism, which this is a form of hypertrichosis, which is limited to women. It results in dark, thick hair growing in places women normally don't have hair, such as their face, chest, and back. And then there's acquired hypertrichosis, which is a disease that tends to develop later in life. Hypertrichosis, regardless of type, is very rare. Congenital hypertrichosis lanyaginosa, the kind that starts at birth and gets worse over the week, is extremely rare. Only about 50 cases of this kind have ever been documented. Hirsutism, which is limited to women, is more common, affecting about 7% of the female population in the United States. There is no cure to this condition, and treatments are often shaving, waxing, and laser hair removal, which obviously none of these are a permanent solution. Here's a video about a man named Larry Gomez who's actually born with this condition. Today, Larry Gomez is a minor celebrity. He's made his appearance his trademark, and he's begun to feel comfortable in his skin. But it wasn't always like this. His childhood was not like a normal boy's. Larry was born in a village in Mexico, hairy from birth. But he wasn't alone. His brother and his cousins were also hairy from head to toe. Wow. So interesting. When I started going to school, I had an older cousin who was just like me. Naturally, he went to school first. So he experienced the troubles associated with our appearance first and was also mocked first. In a way, he cleared the path for me. Larry has hypertrichosis. It's very rare. Only about 50 people in the world have bodies like his, covered in hair. I think that living with hair on my face makes me different, but I don't see myself as different. It's other people who make my life different. As a child, he and his brother were spotted and then recruited by a touring circus. At first in the circus, we were only presented to the audience. We threw the children balls, we greeted them and posed for pictures. And they paid us for that. It was easy work at that age. We started off like that, and in time, we also learned how to juggle. We learned a lot. Since then, Larry has spent his life on display. He arrived at Santa Monica Bay and swapped life of the circus to become the star of a freak show on Oceanfront Walk. It was more glamorous, and there was camaraderie too. It was a place for unusual people. I think it's kind of cool that he yeah. like took something that 
you know, is obviously a yeah. challenge and then mm-hmm. really like made a career out of it. Embraced it. Yeah. 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 I always admire people who, who have to, you know, go through life with something that the rest of the world and society might be like, oh, that's weird and, you know, make fun of you for. But in actuality, it's such a unique trait to have and to embrace it and, you know, make money off it. Why not? Yeah. You know, if people want to pay to come see you, why not? I mean, it's no different than any other celebrity out there having people pay for, you know, tickets to come see them. It's, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I mean, if if for those that are listening, it's and haven't seen any of the pictures, it's he's yeah. literally. It looks like he has to like trim his face. Yeah, he down. must have to. Yeah. So like, where a man would have a beard, mm-hmm. it just extends over the entirety of the face around yeah. the eyes. It's interesting. It may, and maybe he waxes around the mouth. Maybe he, or it just see, doesn't grow. Or it right just doesn't there, grow yeah. there, which is interesting. God, I'm sure kids were just brutal to him and his older relative as well see some people though like this one this baby could be in like patches yeah patches wow it's really unique looking Mm -hmm. but i mean if you look at evolution we all were covered in hair at one point Mm -hmm. that's true that is a good. so i wonder if it's something that has to do with our you know our genetic makeup and Mm. evolution and it's just a wonder if it's like a genetic mutation or something that causes that it's it's really interesting So that is going to be it for our medical mysteries today. If there are any that you would like to see us talk about in the future, remember we do have a request form. So hit that up. It will be linked in our show notes and the description on YouTube. Also, we want to know your thoughts on all these conditions. Yeah. Have you ever heard of these before? Mm -hmm. I hadn't prior to this. Yeah, I've definitely heard of the last one, but yeah, everything else. Or Mm -hmm. trichosis. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm especially interested to hear what people think of Gloria. Yeah. Gloria's case because it's a real that mystery. One's truly baffling. Yeah, it is wild stuff. But yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Make sure you're following the show on Spotify. It does really help us out. Or you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on YouTube as well, which we just passed 500,000 subscribers on YouTube. Oh, so yeah, we did. Hip, hip, hooray. That's Thank pretty you, awesome. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. At the yeah. mill. That's crazy. Good stuff. But that is it for us. We'll see you guys next week. And until then, keep taking your mind a mile high.